Good morning, Capri. This is Pastor Chris. I'm here at the church. I just finished getting the stage set up for our next series. And this, this is a series I have been looking forward to all year. See, at the beginning of the year, Pastor Dan and I, we sit down and we map out what we're going to be preaching and teaching on each month. And I knew from the moment we did that, that this was the series that I was going to be most excited about this year. This is a series entitled, What is the Bible? It's actually based on a book written by a speaker and author I like, Rob Bell. Um, it's a book that I'm going to be challenging you guys to read. Uh, if you live in the area, we're going to be meeting on Wednesday evenings at the Country Club Cafe over in Shawnee um, from 7 to 8 to, well, just discuss what we've been reading. Now, if you do pick up this book, which you can do in the cafe if you come by the church or using the link in the notes tab, um, if you pick it up, I want to give you a warning. I don't want you to agree with everything in this book. See, I believe that part of my job as a preacher, as a teacher, is to push you, to, to challenge you, to, to get you outside of your comfort zone so you can grow. And this is one of those books that does that. So I want you to read this, wrestle with this, disagree with this, but hopefully grow because of this. And it's all based on that question. What is the Bible? The Bible, it's the best-selling book of all time. In fact, the New York Times has to exclude it from the bestsellers list because if they didn't, it would be the best-selling book of every week, of every month, of every year. There are over 200 million Bibles sold in the United States every single year. Or you guys have heard of the Gideons, the group that hands out the free Bibles. You've probably seen them in hotel rooms. They hand out over 100 Bibles every minute. In fact, last year they handed out over 59 million free Bibles I was seeing a story on Fox News, and they reported that in 2020, Bible sales increased. As people were stuck at home and panicking because of the pandemic, they were going online and they were buying Bibles. Publishers were reporting increases from 60 to 140%, which brings us to a place where the average American home contains nine Bibles. And yet, most of us don't know what to do with it. We, we pick it up and we're intimidated or we're scared or worst of all, we're bored. And so we own them, but we don't use them. If you can relate to this at all, click the heart button. Just let me know that I'm not alone in that. Yeah. And so we're going we're gonna to try to answer this question, what is the Bible. Because I think as we answer that question, the Bible begins to change. It begins to play a different role in our faith, in our lives. So here's how I want to start. I want to start by asking you guys a question. 
If you had to come up with one word that comes to your mind when you hear about the Bible or you hear that question, what is the Bible? What is that one word? I want you to think about that for a minute and then if you feel comfortable doing so, post it in the chat off to the side just so we can kind of see where everybody's at on this. And as you guys do that, I'm going to tell you a story about a defining moment for me and how I understand the Bible. Now, I did my undergrad at Southwest Baptist University in Bolivar, Missouri. And while I was there, it was during my sophomore year, I took a preaching class. And I remember going in and sitting down in that class. I'm going to date myself here. It was probably about 2002, 2003. And uh, I sat down. The professor came in. A professor I would later become good friends with, but at that point I didn't know. And as we were getting ready to start, he took out a Bible, and he said, before we go any further, there's something that you need to understand about this book right here. Well, knowing that I wanted to go into ministry, I knew that this was going to be important. I need, I need to pay attention to this. So I moved to the edge of my seat. And what is this profound thing that he's about to say that, oh, it's going to change everything for me. And he says... I need you to understand that not a single word on a single page of this book was written to you. I was, I was kind of devastated. I'm like, who do you think you are? Because see, I had grown up in my youth group hearing that this, this was God's love letter to, to me. That God wrote these words to me. And now you're telling me he, he didn't? How dare you? He went on to say that every word on every page in here was written at least 2,000 years ago. Two, to somebody 2,000 years ago. Not just was it 2,000 years, it was on the other side of the world in a very different culture, in two very different languages, Greek and Hebrew, none of which you in this room can read fluently right now. And even if you could, even if you could read the original manuscripts, still none of it was written to you. It was written by somebody, to somebody, over 2,000 years ago, on the other side of the world, in a different culture, in a different language. Until you begin to grasp that and understand it, you're not going to see this book change your life to the fullest, in the way that it can. He said, so I'm going to teach you guys how to do exegesis. Now, I stopped him right there because I was in D.A.R.E. in middle school and I, I knew that of all the drugs you're not supposed to do, exegesis is pretty high on the list. And then he explained that exegesis is not a drug. It is actually a process of interpreting scripture, critically reading it, trying to discover the author's original intent. He said that exegesis is the process of asking why. Why did somebody write this and why did somebody read this? 
And what was going on when they wrote it and read it? What, what was happening in the world? What was the context of what was taking place? And he said that when you begin to understand that, you begin to understand what's in here in a way that's like nothing else. You will walk away saying, how did I not know that? And you'll discover your faith in your life being transformed. He said, but if you don't do that, it's very easy to pick this up and come away with the wrong message or the wrong lesson. That if you don't take the work to do the exegesis, to ask the why, you end up with things like this. And lest I forget, so... <clears throat> A Christian lady wearing pants, is it a sin? Yeah. A lot of ignorance today. She is sinning against God's plan for civilization. And she is not a part of the solution. She is a part of the problem. And a lot of Christian ladies are part of the problem unknowingly. Now, here's what's crazy about that clip. That's not from 30 years ago or 20 years ago, or 10 years ago. That's from a message that was preached within the last month. In fact, somebody shared it on Instagram this past week, and you might have noticed it was cropped in more than it should have been. And there's a reason, a sad reason for that. See, when they originally shared it, they had in the margins a bunch of gifts, kind of funny reactions to the things that he was saying. And so when I grabbed the video, I thought, you know what, I'm going to go to YouTube, I'm going to find the original clip, and I'm going to use that to show in this message. But when I went over to YouTube and I was searching for clips of pastors talking about women and pants, well, I, I couldn't find it because there were too many. By the time I had scrolled through four or five pages, I realized I'm, I'm not going to be able to find this exact clip. And so I ended up using just what I had pulled off of Instagram. And, I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy that in 2021, as we're still wrestling to get through this pandemic, as the world around us is kind of going crazy as everything in Afghanistan and the Middle East is unfolding, as even in our own country there's brokenness, there's poverty, there's racism, as, as there's all these things that we are, are dealing with even in our personal lives as we're wrestling with jobs and work and going back to school, all of that. That a preacher in, in 2021, in that context, picks up this book and says, you know what I need to teach people about? Women and pants. You know, part, of it's, part of it's funny. I mean, I laughed when I saw the clip because who preaches about women and pants? Who misinterprets things like that bad? But what's sad is that if you watch those clips on YouTube, it doesn't stop with pants. Those same preachers are using those same passages to 
tell women they also can't talk in church. They can't teach in church. They can't preach in church or even outside of church. They can't work or they can't follow their dreams and become doctors or world changers. No, it's used to oppress them. And see, that's the thing about understanding the Bible. You know, there's, a, there's this passage. I want to read it to you guys. It's in the book of Hebrews, in the fourth chapter, verse 12. And it's kind of one of the moments where the Bible talks about itself a little bit. And this is what it says. It says, The word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Yeah, he uses that imagery that the Word of God, the Bible, is like a two-edged sword. As I was preparing this message, I actually threw around the idea of going out and trying to find, to, to borrow a two-edged sword to show you guys here and then to show the congregation on Sunday morning. I thought, well, that would be a powerful illustration. But I decided to hold off. Not because I couldn't find one, but because I was scared of finding one. <laughs> because see, the thing with two-edged swords is that they are sharp and dangerous. And I am clumsy. And the last thing I wanted is for the breaking story of Sunday afternoon to be about a church in Lenexa where the pastor accidentally stabbed a visitor with a two-edged sword. Now, why that might make you laugh a little bit, the truth is, two-edged swords are, are, they are dangerous. They are sharp. And if you don't know what you're doing, if you don't know how to handle one, it's really easy to cause a lot of damage, to hurt people. And that's, that's what a lot of people have done with the Bible. They've used it to oppress women or to oppress other groups. There were Germans during World War II that used the Bible to justify what was happening to the Jews. There were Americans in the Civil War that used the Bible to justify what was happening to the slaves. This book has been used to justify invasions, genocides, you name it. Christians don't always handle this with care. So, back in the late 90s, early 2000s, there was this boom of teen movies. Uh, Ten Things I Hate About You, She's All That, Never Been Kissed, A Walk to Remember. Some of you are probably clicking the heart button because those were your movies. and um, They were great. And there was one, uh, it was a little lesser known, um, but it kind of dealt with the, the Christian subculture. It's called Saved. And there's a scene in this movie that is part humorous, but, it, but it part, well, it's kind of a, a metaphor for what I often see in the church. Well, take a look at it. Rid of the evil in you. It's God's will. God's will. Christ died for your sins. Okay, wait a second. 
So are you not going to accept our intervention here? Yeah. Kidnapping? No. You are backsliding into the flames of hell. Yeah. You've become a magnet for sin. We've all witnessed it. Yes. Sure. Veronica acting all pure. What about last spring break at the Promise Makers rally, huh? Oh, my God. You are making accusations as we're trying to save your soul. Mary, turn away from Satan. Jesus, he loves you. You don't know the first thing about love. I am filled with Christ's love. Yeah, she throws and hits someone with a Bible. But we do that too. When we don't handle this book with care, we can cause a lot of damage and people can get hurt. But on the flip side, you know, when you know how to use a two-edged sword, it's an extremely powerful tool. The same sword that can oppress people can also defend oppressed people. It can be used to fight for freedom. The other part of that verse refers to the Bible as alive, living, and active. That it can play a, a, a role in our faith and in our life. There's a one of my favorite New Testament scholars has this profound quote where he says, the Bible is the book of my life. It's the book I live with. It's the book I live by. It's the book I hope to die by. Or, or even Martin Luther said, the Bible is the cradle wherein Christ is laid. Now, you guys don't know this, but every time I quote Luther, Pastor Dan gives me a bonus. No, he actually doesn't. I quoted Luther because he's right that it's in this book that we find Jesus. And it's in Jesus that we find salvation, forgiveness, resurrection. When people come up to me at church and ask me what Bible they should buy, there's one I always recommend. It's called the Jesus-Centered Bible. And I love it because all the notes and extras in this Bible are... They're, they're built together. They're put in there to help us find Jesus throughout Scripture. Because Jesus, his life and life to the fullest. See, when this book is used correctly, it can change lives with Jesus' love. So, throughout this series, we're going to try to answer that question what is the Bible? Now, I know I had you guys put your one-word answer in the chat earlier. I hope you guys did that. But there's actually a reason that I limited it to one word. Because whenever I don't, I always get this same phrase. And whoever came up with it thought they were being really witty, maybe even a little cute. And I hear people repeat it all the time. And I understand why they do. But I'll ask, what is the Bible? They said, well, the, the Bible, the word, is actually an acronym. And it stands for basic instructions before leaving earth. Bible, basic instructions before leaving earth. And it always makes me cringe. Now, Adam Hamilton, pastor of Church of the Resurrection, he also wrote a book entitled Making Sense of the Bible. And in it, he addresses this acronym. And he says that, it really bothers him because the Bible is neither basic 
nor an instruction manual. Now, I, I don't mean to offend you by saying that. Some of you might have thought, well, no, it is. I know it is. What I mean is, well, here's an illustration. I want you to imagine that this afternoon you're out driving. And one of your tires, you have a blowout. It, it's gone. So you have to replace it. You have to put on the spare. So you pull the car over. You walk around the back. You open the trunk. And it's got one of those bottoms that you're supposed to lift up. And the spare is supposed to be under it. But you, you can't figure out how to, how to get it up, how to get to the spare. You're, and you're frustrated. And so you call your friend that's a mechanic. And you ask him how to do it. And he says, well, for that model of the car, I don't know. But uh, do you have a Bible? That would even frustrate you more because you know that that Bible is not an instruction manual that's going to tell you how to get the spare out of the trunk of your car. If you're like me, if you have a 10-year-old who is entering the phase of life where they're more hormonal and everything is dramatic and you're trying to figure out as a father, as a dad, how do you handle that? And you just want the three easy steps to figure it out. You know that you're not going to find those three easy steps in here because it's not basic. It's not an instruction manual. No, it's, it's so much more than that. As Rob Bell says on the cover of the book, it's an ancient library of poems and letters and stories. And I'd go even further. There's songs and dramatic readings and theological ramblings. There's so much in here. It's so much more complex than basic instructions before leaving earth. But... When we dive in, when we begin to understand what it is and read it for what it is, read poems like poems and letters like letters and stories like stories, when we begin to do a little exegesis, it's alive. It's powerful. It's life-changing. And that's what I want this series to be about answering the question, what is the Bible? So that the Bible can change your life, your family's life, your community's life. See, let me, let me give you a little illustration of what I mean. I'm actually going to be reading a passage out of the book that I've been talking about, what is the Bible? And this is in the 11th chapter, which is a part of the first week's reading if you choose to read along with us. And I just want to share uh, what he shares here, because I think it illustrates this beautifully. So, if you don't mind following along with this story as I read it. <clears throat> Imagine you're sitting in the baggage claim area at the airport, waiting for your Uncle Willie and Aunt Frida to arrive from Sarasota. When you notice a man and a woman walk up to each other and embrace... You don't think any more about this man and this woman hugging because it happens all the time in the baggage claim area at the airport. People arrive, and they're greeted by their family and friends and lovers, and then they get their luggage, and they head for the parking lot. You don't know who this man is or who this woman is or where one of them is coming from or who is visiting who or what has gone on or is going on between them. It's just a man and a woman 
embracing at the airport. Now imagine what happens when you do know something about them. Imagine you learn that this man and this woman are actually brother and sister. And she's been working in a hospital in Malawi for the past three years, and they just found out that their father has been diagnosed with brain cancer and only has a few days to live. So she has flown home, and there's so much she needs to say to him. And now her brother has picked her up at the airport, and they're headed straight to the hospital where their family will be together for the first time in years and they'll say goodbye to their father and they both know as they embrace that it will be unlike anything they have ever experienced. Where let's say they're husband and wife and she's had this dream of being a sculptor, doing shows and having her work sold in galleries, but after she went to grad school, and they started having kids, and then he went to grad school, and then she needed to get a job just to make ends meet, and now they're both working long hours trying to raise their kids and pay off school loans and the mortgage, and now their oldest kid needs braces, and their house needs a new roof, and her dream is dead. But on her 44th birthday, she woke up with a profound sense of despair as if life had made decisions for her that left her with the conviction that she hadn't been true to herself. She shared this with her husband who suggested that he get a job in the evenings and at weekends at the local sporting goods store his friend owned so she could cut back on her hours at work. And then they could clear out a space in their basement for a studio for her to start sculpting again. And now it's been three years. And she's just returning from a trip to New York where she sold her first two pieces and signed a deal with the gallery. And they did it together. And they're exhausted, but they're alive in ways they never were before. And there's a sense of shared sacrifice. Like they banded together to make this happen. And there's so much joy between them. And he's thrilled for a number of reasons. Among them, he doesn't have to ever answer another question about golf clubs. Or imagine that this man and this woman, they're are friends. They've known each other for 15 years. They went to the same college, and at various times they've dated each other's friends, but five years ago they moved to different sides of the country. And totally unexpectedly, a year ago, they began to write letters to each other, actual pen and, and paper letters. And through these letters, a genuine love has started to grow. They've both been burned by past relationships. She was engaged, but her fiancé called off the weddings two weeks before the date. And he discovered that his girlfriend of four years had been seeing his roommate behind his back for two of those years. So they decided they wouldn't see each other and that they would just write for a year. And if at the end of the year they were still writing, then they would see each other in person. And this happened. The letters have brought them together in extraordinary ways as their love has been building and building as they have learned more and more of their lives with each other. But now the year is up and she has come to visit him. 
And he has a diamond ring in his pocket, which she doesn't know about. Now let's rewind. He says, you're in the baggage claim. Only now you know all of this history and this background and this context. And then you see her walking down the hall toward him. The scene is instantly electric for you, right? You watch with different eyes. You fully engaged. You're filled with anticipation. Why? Because now you're aware. Previously, you were cut off from the depth and separated from the stories of the people, but now you see and know and feel a number of things you didn't previously. Your awareness has changed, which of course, everything from your perspective. Earlier, I mentioned that many of us pick up the Bible we're intimidated, or scared, or worst of all, bored. I said bored, because I think that many of us read the Bible, and it's just distant. We're separated from the stories. But I believe that when we answer the question, what is the Bible, and we learn to read it in a new way, we gain that perspective and the stories, they're electrified. There's an intensity there that wasn't before. We begin to see them in a way that points us to Jesus. And Jesus leads to salvation and forgiveness and resurrection. And then the Bible begins to change our faith and our life. And that's what this series is all about. I'm so excited to go on this journey with you guys. So let's, let's do this.